All right, you ready to what do are we, it? What do we do? An hour? Uh, yeah, up to you. We're good with. I'm good with whatever. All right, all right. We'll feel it out. Cool. So, how you been, Mark? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful day in Manhattan. Just taking it easy and uh, trying to stay sane. Yeah. Do you find that people will? Uh, do you find that it's obviously it's different in Manhattan right now? But do you find that people are starting to loosen up a little bit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, people, the masks are coming down. It's like a condom, you know, after, after a little time, you start saying, ah, screw it. What are we doing here? But, uh, I think this is human nature. Like you go meet up with somebody and you're doing the fucking elbow touch and, uh, Hey, whoa, stay away. <laughs> then 10 minutes in, you're sitting on their lap eating, eating a bucket of ice cream. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so strange. I'm in LA and it's just like the restaurants are starting to open and I think oh, everybody, wow. everybody now realizes, everybody's thinking, well, if restaurants are open, it's over. Right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's, and I think we want it to be over so bad that we, uh, it's that wishful thinking where it's not over. Now it's spiking everywhere. But we've already, our brains have already decided, well, restaurants are open. I guess we're going with this now. And you're like, yeah, but it, it's the virus and they don't care about, the virus doesn't give a shit about uh, what's open and how tired of it you are. Exactly. Have you found, have you, you haven't done any shows in New York, have you? Uh, I did, I've done some Zoom shows. One guy had a show at his apartment and it was literally me and him and a camera and he projected the Zoom audience onto the, onto the wall. So there was like 20 people on the wall, like 20 different squares and you would tell a joke and it would broadcast to them and they would start laughing. It was the, it was the closest to a real crowd I've seen yet. Did you feel, did you feel like it was, you were, you were feeling the laughs or was it still a little hard to kind of just go by yourself, just seeing people laugh? It was definitely weird and disconnected, but it was, you could feel it for sure. Like you felt, uh, oh, I'm killing. Hey, I got, oh, I'm bombing. I'm killing. I got them now. I lost them. Like it was pretty good. Yeah. Were you doing new material, old materials, the special stuff or what? I was doing all Corona jokes that I've tweeted, okay. stuff like that. So it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like, you know, my act, because my act is so rusty and shitty that it was, it was like topical. Hey, how about this protest? How about this Biden? You know? Yeah. How much material did you have after filming your special up until the virus started, like in a new, in a new hour? Oh God. I'm so grateful that I, that I worked on shit after the hour because I knew I was going to film that thing. And who, I didn't know Corona was going to happen. So I just right. figured, hey, I'll build up some, uh, some material over time. But I had built up a good 2025. And thank God for that. Because, you know, you go back on the road. You, you know, I went last week to Dallas. And they're like, I, I came out because I saw the special. And you're like, oh, my God. Thank God I built up that 25. And that'll get you halfway home. Right. And so, then, so then what did you just uh, kind of do crowd work was, afterwards or what? crowd work i do those tweet bits again that'll you know that'll, that'll only last a month so fucking i gotta buy time so i'm just gonna talk about uh corona for 10 minutes and talk about the protests and talk about biden and talk about trump so you you get through it but you're you're watching those minutes clock by oh yeah for sure did you find that the audiences were a little like weirded out being next to people and all that stuff or was it normal did it feel normal right back in you know the the hot tub is boiling at first but eventually you get a knee in then you get a, a junk in then you get a stomach in and then you're you're sitting in there then you kind of go hey let's turn up the heat a little more actually i'm already i'm already used to it 
So those uh, those masks came off and everything. I don't I don't know if I'm going to go back out on the road because I feel like it's it's cooking up again. Yeah. But uh, I was glad to get that one in. If I'm being honest. And you got to get YouTube video out of it. Yeah, the YouTube's killing. Yeah, I saw that the other day. You're at I think 400,000 or something like that views. It just shows how much people are craving it, and these are such serious times that comedy is like a great cure for it. it it makes you forget about it it takes the impact off it a little bit if you can write a joke about it and that's why i get so annoyed by like the canceling because comedy is a healer it's supposed to be this you know uh hey let's joke about something that makes us feel bad you know like jews with uh, their oppression or whatever it is you know like that's why black people are so funny it's all this it, you got a joke when you're uncomfortable and I think a lot of people are uncomfortable right now. So the jokes are almost cathartic. Right. Totally. Did you find that, uh, did you have humor growing up? Cause I know, you know, you're, you've talked about your situation in Louisiana with your nanny and all that stuff. Was it, was your household funny or was it more dark or what? Uh, you know, my dad, my dad and mom were so stressed out. They're both like, they were workaholics and they had a big nut and they got two kids and they got this big house and they're trying to, trying to pay the way so i didn't really see him that much and when we did hang out it was a joke here and there and comedy was always appreciated like comedy movies or tv shows mm -hmm. but it wasn't the jokiest family and but i was joking because i was so i was a bedwetter i had braces i was a weirdo so i joked for for everybody i joked enough for everybody because i was so uncomfortable the whole time Right. So do you find that, is that where you became funny so that you could break tension in the room and sometimes and stuff like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and I was in French immersion class in school. So I'm in school with like a lot of the French kids and then I'm in the neighborhood with a lot of black kids. So I, I kind of always felt out of place and I had to make jokes and your parents are working so much that you want attention. And so the only way to get attention is to fucking uh, get a laugh. Huh, that's, yeah. I mean, I, I get that, you know. My, my family, they were working. You just got to be funny. That's the way to get attention around town. Yeah, totally. The laugh is uh, undeniable, you know. It's, because sometimes you'll say so, a good point or something interesting, and maybe you'll get like a, ah. And I'm like, I need more than that. I need a, a gut laugh. I need a, a rollover. I need a ha-ha. Something, baby. Some kind of reaction. When you're working out material, do you, do you find that you'll appreciate the, like the, ah, or do you always want to go for the gut laugh? I mean, I like a little everything. I like, I my favorite thing in comedy is like a good point. Like a, oh, it's funny and it's poignant and it's interesting. And uh, it's been there the whole time and nobody caught it. To me, mm -hmm. that's my favorite kind of humor. Like I'm trying to think of a good example, but like Chris Rock has a lot of that. You know, his, his bit on cops is like my, my favorite bit about yeah. cops. Everybody's got their take. He's like, yeah, a few bad apples, but this is a job where you can't have bad apples. It's like a pilot. You know, right. like, like some of them land the plane. Totally. Like that. I'm like, getting right out and he's being. Yeah. Oh, nope. Did we get over there? I think we're back. Hello. Hello. Hi. There we are. Oh, sorry. I don't don't know what worry about it. Me? Uh, I think so. All, it's all good, okay. though. Okay. Sorry. We'll leave, we'll leave it in. <laughs> what, what did I miss? Uh, nothing. I just, just uh, I guess the next question I would ask is, so then, was, so did you always know you wanted to be a stand-up comic? No, no. I wish, I wish. I, uh, 
I just loved comedy so much. But, you know, in, in my head, my parents were so hardworking and successful that, like, I, the whole time I was racking my brain, like, should I be this? Should I be a movie producer? Should I be a fucking uh, lawyer? Should I be that? But I knew I was too dumb to be anything important. And then it took me failing at everything to realize, well, fuck it, why not try comedy? Because in my mind, comedy was just this, like being an astronaut. It's never going to happen. I'm glad Richard Pryor's doing it, but uh, I can't do it, you know? It's like being a professional boxer or something. How do you even get to that point? So I just was so desperate and had nothing going on that I said, I'll try it. And it, it took that desperation to get me to get up there. Ah, so then what, where, you did your first show in Louisiana, right? It was like two hours out of New Orleans. Yeah, wow, you're good. It was yeah, Lafayette, dude. Louisiana. And then do you remember any of the jokes you did? I don't. I remember I got so drunk, I got blacked out because I was so nervous. And uh, I had a yeast infection at the time or, or what they call a jock itch for a guy. Uh -huh. That's like the male term. Yeah. And uh, so I talked about it on stage and it was horrible jokes like, I got a yeast infection. It smells more like sourdough, you know, shit like that. Right. And I'm sure I tanked and bombed, but I was so blacked out and I ran the light. But I remember just being around all the comics, being in that world. I, I specifically remember the comic meeting. Like the host of the show was like, all right, everybody get together backstage. And he's like, you're going to do, you're going to go third. You're doing 10 minutes. You're doing, but I remember being like, this is awesome. I need this right now. This is so special. I'm a part of something. And I was hooked after that. Then it was like, look through the phone book for comedy clubs, uh, go on YouTube, see what's what, who's what, uh, who's this Hedberg guy? Let me watch him. Well, Stephen Wright, uh, you know, old Carlin stuff, old Eddie Murphy. And then you just, you just get engulfed. And then eventually you move to New York. Yeah. So then would you say that those guys like uh, Carlin and uh, Hedberg, were those your guys that you would consider your heroes growing up in, or in terms of stand-up? In terms of stand-up, it was three main three main influences was uh, Jerry Seinfeld, George Carlin, and Chris Rock. And wow. then you, you start digging deeper. Like Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker blew my mind. When I saw oh, I was yeah. like, I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know this was a thing. I mean, it was so fucking raw and poignant and interesting and hilarious and so aggressive. He's pacing with the leather suit and everything. It was insane. And then I found Norm MacDonald and I was like, well, this is the funniest guy on the planet. Like, Nobody sounds like this guy. He's a weirdo. He, he kind of like, he, you know, when you see somebody, you're like, this is my sense of humor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, because, uh, you know, Chris Rock's hilarious, but I'm like, that's not me. I can't do that. And then you see Norm MacDonald, you're like, that's what I think is funny. This stupid shit and the, the dumb voice and the, the whole thing. I'm like, this is, this is comedy. Yeah. So were you always doing one-liners or was that when you found Norm, did you kind of take it to that point of your comedy where it's, you know, there's like the larger picture, but it's like joke after joke after joke. Yeah, for me, it was, I'm not even a one-linery guy. I just, to me, I don't know how to get a laugh without a punchline. Like everybody's like, you're a joke guy. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Pratt falling? Like, right. what, what, what do we do here? Uh, fuck a stool? So I just have to have jokes to get laughs. I'm, I'm standing, I'm not a big act out guy. I'm not Sebastian. So mm -hmm. I just became a joke guy and I'm a big wuss. So like... If it's silent for four seconds, I'm panicking. So, hey, put another joke in. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I, I love that term, you're a joke guy, because all of us are joke <laughs> guys. You hope. Yeah, you know. But, um, I mean, have you – I think – was it you or Joe that opened for – it was Joe that opened for Norm, right? 
Yeah, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, that's. Have you have you ever done anything with him? I met him once at the Comedy Cellar for like eight seconds, and he was super nice. And he he loves Joe. He loves my friend Joe List. So we watched Joe together, and I got to sit next to him. But you know, you couldn't really talk as it was during a show. But uh, nice. I got a photo with him, and oh, that's, cool. that's about all I know of him, really. But uh, just that style and that. Uh, that brand of comedy really resonated with me. Yeah. And so I know, I'm sure, you know, at the cellar, you're there pretty much every night. You're seeing all these guys. Who's like the one or two comics that you've seen walk in that your heart just stopped and you kind of fanboyed out? Wow. Hey, good question. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the cellar is that kind of wears off. I like, I used to see Louie or Stanhope or Bill Burr, you know, and just be like, oh my God, this is crazy. Oh, geez. And you try to act normal. Chappelle comes there all the time. You try to act normal, but uh, after a while, it just go. You just kind of fade away. Like I've I've hung out with Seinfeld at this point, and yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. So that's the cool thing about comedy is it's it's so little. Uh, pre what's the word? Uh, sorry, I've had a lot of coffee. What's the pretension? Not a lot of pretension. I mean, that's basically the basis of comedy is just mocking pretension. Yeah. So. A lot of these guys, especially the funny ones, the unfunny ones are mean, but the funnier guys are nice and they get it. You're just a comic just like them. They just started before you. That's all. Yeah. So they're pretty cool. Everybody's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that's the best piece of advice that I was probably given coming up because I started at 14. So it was Whew. like, it was like, obviously I'm not going to be the funniest guy, but a lot of these comics who have made it are going to see it and you know, they'll come up to me because they don't, they don't have to worry. Right. Right. You know? Yeah, so they're not like, threatened. Yeah, so I forgot who told it to me. It might have been Brody Stevens before he passed away. He said, if you see, wow. a, guy to, if you see a guy you want to say hi to, go up and say hi. You know? Right, right. Yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I mean, there are some dicks out there, but those dicks are rarely funny. Yeah. So then, what? So, uh, you know, we were just talking about how you were in Dallas. What's, what's it like for you playing a club versus playing a theater versus playing an arena? Oh, I mean, it's, uh, it's exactly what you think. A club is a conversation. It's, a, it's, interac it's not interactive, but it's, it's in tandem. The crowd laughs, you do a joke. Crowd laughs, you do a joke. You can talk to a guy in the front row. You can, you know, talk to the guy in the back and make fun of this guy's shirt. And it's probably the most real comedy out there. And then theater is more of a presentation. Like, look at this piece I've prepared. You know, it's, it's almost like I got a blazer on. The lights are dim. This place was built in 1808. It's grand. There's a chandelier. And here, are my, here is my work to, to present to you. And it's fun. It's great. And then an arena is just like, I'm praying to God this hits any of you. you you're eight miles away from me. You're on the 19,000th row. I have a one-liner that might not even reach you. I don't know if I'm loud enough. If I'm, can you even see me? So the, the arena feels the most detached and the least like real comedy. Huh. That's in, but do you, do you enjoy playing them or no? I mean, look, I'm glad I can say I've done the garden, but, and it felt good to do well there. I bombed there once and did well there once, mm -hmm. but it's not, you don't get off stage going, whoo, that was fun. All right. You get off stage going, holy shit. I can't believe that just happened. That was crazy. Glad it's over. Right. So then what, what, how do you approach, you know, opening versus headlining? Oh, uh, well, when you're open, I think you want to be, are we talking feature or are we talking host? 
We can talk, we'll talk feature. You know, if you're doing, or let's, we can go. So, you know, you just played Dallas, you headline there versus opening for Seinfeld. Okay. Uh, Dallas was headlining and that's headlining. You're the show. Like you are the main comic that feel like connects with the crowd. Sure. The feature will go up and do well, kill. That's pretty common, but you got to be the one that's like in the room. You've got to be the one that's really bringing the heat and talking about everything that they're thinking. You have to address everything, acknowledge everything. And I think that makes for a better and more well-rounded comic. You, you don't really get to that next level until you headline, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, a feature can, can connect with a crowd, of course. But I feel like the headliner is like, you're the one they're seeing. Your name's on the marquee. The headliner's the, the appetizer. And sure, the appetizer could be great. Appetizer can be better than the meal, but you, you go for the meal. Right. That's why you go to a restaurant. So, yeah, opening is a, it's a skill on its own because you have to be memorable, but not too memorable. And you got to set the table, but don't, don't steer the show off the rails. So uh, they're very different animals, but either way, you got to be, you want to be killing. Yeah. Do you find that, you know, if you're, if your guy you take on the road has an off night or maybe his, you know, his 20 doesn't go so well, do you find that your set might suffer at the beginning because the crowd isn't as warmed up as they could be? Or once you come out, are they already, they're ready to see you? That's a good question. I think, of course, they could be a little less warmed up, but I don't even know if that's the, the feature's job. That's the host job. The host warms them up, the host gets them loose, and the feature just kind of does his part. I will say, if a feature does a ton of crowd work, you know, look at this guy's shirt, where are you from, fuck this bitch, whatever it is, they kind of get used to that, and then you go up talking about Uber, I think they're kind of like, wait, wait, I don't want to pay attention, call this guy a douche again. That's, you know, it kind of uh, lowers the bar. It's almost like having dessert before the savory meatloaf. You know, mm -hmm. like, look, I love meatloaf, but meatloaf can't really follow a chocolate cake. It doesn't work. So... You want them to be a nice, uh, nice shrimp cocktail or, you know, whatever the hell you eat as an appetizer as yeah. chips and salsa. And then you go up and you're the enchiladas. So if, if you throw a sopapilla at them before the enchiladas, it's a little, little jarring. Ah, that, yeah, that, that makes sense. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, thank God. Okay. No, that's a good amount. What if, yeah. If I was just like, nope, that made no sense at all. <laughs> oh, I would, I would have totally gone with it, but you know, you pull out a flan, and then you serve somebody a taco. It's, it's a little weird. So right. I think you gotta have a you gotta have a good balance out of the gate. And the feature should know that. You know, you, sometimes you get these features like I'm gonna bury this fucking guy, and you're like, well, now you got a weird. It's gonna be weird for the show. It hurts the rhythm of the show. Mm -hmm. Totally. So then, where uh, at what point in your career did you notice that people were coming to see like you had seen Mark Norman headlining versus seeing you know a comedy show, and you happen to be the headliner? Well, this is all still new. I mean, I'm, I'm just maybe like October of 019 is, is when they started coming to see me. I'd get like a, a peppering here and there of podcast fans or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's, it didn't really get to be 90% or 80% me until, you know, late last year. So uh, this is all still new. But somebody told me once that if a crowd, if, like 20% of a crowd is there to see you, it will be contagious to the rest of the crowd. And I think that's so true. 
That's and I think a lot of people need to perform for people who don't know them. You need to learn how to get a crowd on your side that isn't on your side, or not necessarily off, not on your side, but if the crowd doesn't know you, you still need to know how to win them over. Mm. You don't want to be the guy who's just up there like, they all know me, they already love me, because then you won't be as, as uh, uh, undeniable. You want to be undeniable, you know, at the funny bone, you want the soccer mom, the pregnant lady, and the, the dishwasher to be like, this guy's funny. Mm-hmm. So it can be dangerous too early to have the whole crowd on your side immediately. Right. Well, that's, I guess, that's like what Seinfeld says. He said, you know, you have the first few minutes for them to know who you are. You still got to make them laugh afterwards, though. Right, right, yeah. That's why these YouTube guys, you know, no offense to anybody personally, but they get these huge followings on YouTube, zillions and zillions of, of views. They don't establish an act. They go do a live show, and they tank because they're just like, oh, I'm great. I, I, I'm just myself on camera. Everybody loves me. And then you get on stage, and we're bored now. You got you to gotta do something. Like, you got to make us laugh. Yeah, it's a different ball game. Different ball game. There's no editing, you know? Right. Yeah. Good point. Is there, what advice was given to you? I mean, even up to now from, you know, someone that you really respected that you've kind of kept with your whole life that you would give to other comics. Ooh, shit. Uh, I think, I think you got to go with your gut a lot. A lot of people have told me like, don't do that joke. Don't do this material. You got to go with your gut on what's funny, but then people, they, they take advantage of that. They're bombing and they go, well, I think it's funny. So you need a compromise of go with the gut and still get the laughs. You can't just be up there being like, well, this is what I like. I'm sorry. You don't like it? Leave. And like, okay, well, then we're going to leave and you're never going to work in this town again. So you have to still compromise. You're still an entertainer. These people paid money. They left their house. Entertain. I get a little peeved when I hear comics like, I'm going to bring a notebook up there and try a bunch of shit. And if they don't like it, fuck them. I'm the, I'm the talent here. And you're like, all right, that's wildly selfish. <laughs> like, I know this art form requires an audience, but let's not ruin stand-up comedy for the next guy. You know, now they're going to go, well, we'll never go see a show again. That was 80 bucks. And this guy right. took a shit on stage. So if you saw that Rusty said I did, yeah, I'm going off notes, but I'm still trying to get laughs here. Right. That, so, well, that, uh, yeah. So then how do, you approach, how do you approach, you know, controversial topics like – I know you do it in your tweets a lot, but like, you know, if something comes up, what do you, how's your approach to saying, is it too early? Is this too far? Or do you just kind of just fully jump into the water? Uh, I just jump in. I hate the too soon. And look, the too soon is okay. You're allowed to think it's too soon, but I don't. The soon part is the fun. You know, like that's why I'm doing it too soon because it's got a little more bite to it. So too soon is not, uh, what's the other one? Not objective. Uh, too soon is not objective. It's subjective. But, you know, we're all so entitled and up our own asses. We go, hey, that was too soon for me. So that just means it's too soon. No, no, it was too soon for you. It's not too soon for me. I'm the one telling the joke. So it's okay if you don't like it, but it's too soon for you. Right. But it's not too soon objectively. Yeah. So I just do it. And I feel like uh, dark topics are fun to explore. I think they're necessary to explore. And I think if it's a joke, I think you got legs, you know, if it's still a punch setup punchline, there's a, there's a funniness to it. There's some kind of attempt at humor. I think it's okay. If you're going up there just going, Hey, rape is great. That's weird. That's a bad comic. And that guy should be shut down. 
because you're just trying to get a shock value off a word or, a, or an idea and you're not actually doing comedy. Right. So, so then, as long as there's a comedy attempt, I think you're okay. Yeah. So you find that, but you find that if you're funny, you can get away with more. I'm just, like that. I'm sure. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like these people, like, do you think there's anything you can't talk about? No, you can talk about whatever. People will get mad and then they yell at you and then you do it again and they'll yell. At you. I mean, it's, it's just, people don't like it. Some people like it. So you got to deal with that and that's fair. They're allowed to not like it. Yeah. So, but you just got to weigh that on how much you want to do that bit. Do you find that you'll ever do a bit and someone will, uh, I'm sure it's happened where someone's going to go after you and heckle you because it is too soon in their opinion. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Happens all the time. Uh, happens all the time like hey you can't say that and i'm like well i just did and they this whole room might not agree with you like how entitled are you that this bothers you so you just have to shut it down i don't like hot sauce so discontinue all tabasco yeah but i like hot sauce yeah but i don't it burn my tongue all right well that's you just don't use it so i get being offended i've been offended before it sucks you know but you just move on. You go, I'll never buy this guy's record or this gal's movie or whatever it is. It's not that complicated. We really like to, to jazz everything up a bit, but it's, it's all very simple. Yeah. So how do you approach uh, hecklers and how do you go about it? Do you have, you know, your kind of go-to lines or are you more on stage trying to figure it out with them? Oh man. Heckling was a, was a whole different animal on its own that I had to, had to figure out, uh, you can only figure that one out by being involved in it, just experience. But uh, I just got heckled so many times that I used to be like, fuck you, I hope you die, I hope you get AIDS, because out of anger. And after a while, you realize the crowd doesn't go with you if you do that. So you have to learn to like finesse it where you're trashing them, but you're not going for the jugular right away, and the crowd is on your side, and it's a whole, it's a whole tiptoe kind of ballroom dance of destroy this guy show dominance but keep the room on your side right so then i'm sure also now as you're getting more and more people coming to see mark norman that's helping with the heckling even if it happens more people are probably on your side now yeah completely And, and i'm grateful for that and uh again nobody wants to be heckled here so i hate these douches who are like you know hey i'm gonna come and heckle you and whatever i'm like Look, if you're a fan or if you like my stuff, don't heckle because, yeah, we might get one second of, of fun out of a heckle where I call a guy a piece of garbage and we all laugh because there's tension in the room. But, you know, it's, it's going to hurt the show. It hurts the flow, the timing. You know, if, if a movie's on and somebody pauses it to take a shit, it's not going to be as good of a movie because you're not going to be in it the whole time. You're not going to be feeling it. Right. There's something that takes it out. There's no, there's yeah. a pause. Right, right. Do you, uh, do you find that there's more people when you're performing at you know, New York and the cellar that are going to be more, more rude or more out there to yell at you? Uh, no, no. I think the cellar is pretty good about uh, policing. And I'll tell you this. I think people like being policed. It's almost like, oh, that sounds bad in these times, but I mean, in a comedy club, people want the, they want the discipline because it shows that like, oh, this is top notch. This is the top tier. I mean, you go to a Broadway show, if you cough, they'll throw you out on the street because you're like, hey, I'm in a suit here. This guy's coughing. I can't hear Hamilton, you right. know? So I feel like the seller is good about that. It's, the seller is the, the Mount Olympus of comedy in a way. So right. 
uh, I think people want it. If, if you if you heckle and then get thrown out, it shows the other people like, oh, this is a serious show here. This is the top of the line. Yeah. Do you find that at the other clubs in New York do that too, or is it a little more relaxed at some of the other places? It's a little more relaxed, and I think uh, that's that's cutting corners, and it, it it hurts the club ultimately because now the show suffers the audience doesn't get as good of a show as it could have gotten because some guy has to take 10 minutes out of his act to trash a, an audience member then they then they finally throw him out now it's a big to do a big distraction the whole show has gone off the rails and so people say well we want to see comedy we want to actually see a show and not just deal with people yelling and we can't get anywhere so i think it's better to police yeah do you find in New York that, you know, when you're doing stand-up and you're doing these, I think it's 15s out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So do you find that, you know, you'll go up, you'll be going up one night saying, you know, I got new stuff to work out, but then, you know, Sam Morell just got off stage and he killed. Do you find that now you're going to want to go up and kill or you, do you stick to your, I got to work out this stuff? Uh, I think you stick too. I mean, you feel it out, it's case by case, but, you know, if he kills, great, good for him but he might've not done anything new. And so, yeah, he had a great set, but he didn't really get anything out of it maybe. Mm-hmm. And I want to get something out of it and, or vice versa. I kill and he, he does new. I think, uh, I think the, the beauty, the ultimate goal is to do both kill and have new. Right. So where do you I, find the balance? Tough, but... Where do you find the balance in that? Is that more just prep? Like you knowing what material works or is that you testing the waters of the room or what? That's just a lot of experience, a lot of finessing, like, all right, I'm going to do this bulletproof bit, then I'm going to try the new one, and I have a bulletproof bit right after it. So I've talked to crowds before, and they're like, oh, we didn't even know that was new, that you really got off of that one so quick that it was in and out. And, and also, we think the crowd is sitting there going, that was good, that sucked, fuck you, I hate you, oh, you try the new one, I hate you now, kill yourself. But they're just trying to enjoy the show and eat some hummus, right. you know? They're not as uh, hardcore as we think they maybe are. So I think, I think trying new is, is key. I think it's important. I think it's important to kill. And if you can do both, great. Yeah. So then do you, uh, I guess, with, so kind of moving over to your podcast, which is called Tuesdays with Stories, which is honestly my favorite podcast. Ah, oh, geez. Thanks, yeah. man. Do you, is that, do you find that you and Joe, when you guys are talking on it, is that how you guys talk in real life with each other? Or is that, are you guys doing something more to like, to kind of be more play your play characters of yourselves? Well, we've been doing the show for six plus years. So it's, we have this rhythm where we can turn it on right when the, the mics heat up mm-hmm. and uh, we have a show rhythm, like a cadence, almost like a comedian cadence. And uh, so I think, sure. You turn the mics off, which sound exactly the same, but it won't be as quick and it won't be as, peppy and punchy like he'll literally say car and i'm like carmichael uh carpet you know i'm just trying to have any pun i can because we're so neurotic and desperate for a punchline that we'll just start throwing puns out there because we don't want the crowd to get bored and we don't do that when we hang out obviously we're not at uh, at the diner going uh spoon uh spoon me spoon man sound garden ah, ah, you know so right. it's clearly trying to be funnier on the mic. So where, what was the origin of Tuesdays with Stories? How did you guys say, you know what, let's just do, and then let's make it this style of a podcast? It actually kind of morphed over the years. Uh, Joe 
had the idea. He's like one of the best guys at hanging out. He's got stories for days. He's funny. He's punchy. He's quick. And so uh, we were all hanging out one night. And then the next day he was like, that was so fun. I wish people could hear that. You know, like, sure, the show is great, but that fucking hang was just a laugh a second. And I wish people could hear that. So we had the idea, well, let's try to make the comic hang into a podcast. And uh, obviously it didn't work because we got four guys together and it was, it, it didn't flow. It was boring. And then, but it just, we try to keep booking guests to fill this room with comics, but everybody's busy. Nobody could do it on the same day as this other guy. So it just became me and him telling stories. And then uh, boom, Tuesdays with Stories is born. So do you find that you're writing or you're, you're writing down material, but you're also writing down anything that happened to you to try to remember them as stories? Yes, completely. Like, I'll miss a flight, and 80% of me is going, oh, you fucking idiot, you blew it. And then 20% of me is going, but I got a story. Let me write this down. I missed an Uber. Hold on. The Uber driver called me a whore, and, you know, let me get all that. And, and boom, I got, some, I got some fodder, or potter, as we would say. Mm-hmm. So then is Harry that- Harry Potter. You find that the people in your life are now even more, because I know for me, there's people that, you know, tend to be a little more hesitant with me because they think, oh, anything I say is going to end up on stage. Is there another level with people, you know, that like I can now end up on the podcast too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like, you mean civilians? Yeah. Like, you know, your girlfriend or your family or people like that. Sure, sure. I think our podcast is less popular. Like I think I'm thought of as a comic before Mm -hmm. podcaster. So I think more people are worried about the stage thing. And I think they're like, I'm not, I'm not Joe Rogan or, you know, uh, NPR. So they're not really worried about also, if it comes out on a podcast, it'll probably just be a story, but if it comes out on stage, it'll be a joke Mm -hmm. and they're more scared to be involved in a joke. So I think they're more worried about the, the stand up than the, than the pod. Do you have any, have you ever had any instances where someone was like, I don't like you telling that story or that joke about me on stage? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And I go, okay, sorry. I change it. And I, you know, I try to never say anybody's name or make it too specific. But I, I mean, I'm not a, I try not to be a bad guy. I wouldn't go up there and go, this guy farted in, in his wife's purse and never told her. And I'm telling her right now, you know, it would just be like, oh, your thing made me think of this thing. And I'm going to turn that into a bit. I try to keep it not very specific. If you look at my act, it's not very personal. I got right. some bedwetting stuff in there. I got some childhood stuff. But it's not like, my friend said this and I, blah, blah, you know? Yeah. Because I know, I remember, I have a, the first time that ever happened to me was uh, this girl just, like, she ended our relationship. And I went up that Ooh. night and talked about it. Didn't use her name, but she was in the crowd. Oh, she stands up and she goes, "Fuck you! Don't talk about me like that." Oh, like that's a special. That's yeah. a special case. You didn't know yeah. she was there. You got dumped that day. So that that I am willing to excuse because uh, you know it's not really that. That's not going to happen again. Yeah, no, it was a weird instance. But uh, do you find that you know, what, like, how do you build up? How, like, walk me through your process now of building up. You know, you just released a special. How are you going to get to your hour that you're going to tape Ooh. again? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it takes so long to really have a beginning, a middle, and end. And those, those, those pieces between the bricks, that, like, white caulk, or what, what is that? The mortar? The mortar yeah. between the bricks. That's really what keeps a special uh, 
together because you need those segues, you need those little bits in the middle, those tags. So you could have a great bit, but you, it's got to lead into the next bit seamlessly. It's got to have a callback maybe if you want to do that. So it's those little things in a bit, those extra words, those extra hand movements and whatnot. That's what takes two, three years to develop and, and the whole package itself, you know? Sure, when you order a margarita machine on Amazon, they can put it in a, they can put it in a box and send it, but they still got to put styrofoam in the box, put the instruction manual, put it in the mail, write the address, seal the box. It's so much more than just the margarita machine. And that's the same with an act. You know, you go, oh, you got jokes. Go up there. No, I got to figure out the order. I got to have a, a beginning and an end. I got to close it out. You know, it's so that's what takes a while. So right now I have probably 20-ish minutes. And I have to figure out what I'm going to go first, what's going to go last. Do I need a closer? You know, and that's the hard part. So do you go, do you find the jokes first and then kind of figure out the order? Or do you just kind of do it all together at the same time? I think once you have 15, 20, then, then that whole, okay, I'm building an hour here. Let's start thinking about the foundation. Let's start thinking about uh, the, the narrative, the through line. But in the beginning, it's like, all right, I'm drinking milk. What's funny about milk? Okay, cows, all right, they, we push them over. Uh, they have udders, you know, butters. Maybe we've got literally like grasping at straws in the beginning. But then eventually, once you get about a 15, and then you just start connecting stuff. Like, all right, I got that bit on chihuahuas. And now this thing, I wrote a, a joke about dogs. Put that with a chihuahua bit. Now that's longer. Now you got to connect those. And maybe you get a joke out of the connection even. So mm -hmm. it's just a long slow process and it's it's bit by bit tick 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 ticking away yeah and then as someone who has so many jokes every minute how do you remember all of them or is it just because you just remember the flow of it all it's the flow it's like you wouldn't remember a song if it was in different pieces but because it has that you know twinkle twinkle it's got that rhythm and that's that's how you remember it and it all makes sense you know like you put the dog bit after the you know, dog house bit. So now it just goes together. And so it's easy to remember because, you know, it's connected. Yeah. Do you find and that? And it's just repetition. Yeah. Do you find that an audience, you'll be in the middle of your act and then you say, well, maybe this joke might not work with these guys. So let's do, let's not do that one. Yes. Yes. That, and that annoys me because if I like the joke enough, I will find a way to connect it. Huh. Do you, ever yeah, have a, yeah. do, you ever, do you ever have a joke that might be, you know, either too dark or too blue for them and then you try to take it, you put it in another spot so you can get in or do you just, or what, like how do you do Sure, that? sure. I mean, you gotta, you gotta build around it. Like you gotta pad it. So if you got that joke that's too dark then, and you want to put it in there, you gotta find a way to make it work. And sometimes that just means you gotta get them so on your side that they don't care about how dark that is and they're willing to go with you. So sometimes half your act is just building up to get this, to get this goodwill to knock this pedophile joke out. <laughs> like I, yeah, I wrote a uh, Holocaust tweet the other day and I don't, I, I don't have the balls to put it out there, but I want to, and I just gotta, I just gotta do it. You just gotta do it. And, and look, you know, that joke I have, like, look, I'm not a pedophile. <laughs> I'm not attracted to, to children, but like, it's such a dark topic that to me, it's just an exercise in can I get this, to work and I get this helicopter to land Kobe, you know? Right. And so it's a, it's an exercise in skill and it's an exercise in difficulty. So uh, I got this bit about grape juice and that bit took six months to work. 
Really? Because it's so dark. Yeah. I mean, I just huh. kept, and I, I had, I had given up on it. One of my friends goes, whatever happened to that grape juice joke? And I was like, oh yeah. And then I went back to it. And by this time I, I had some time off of it. So I could, I could, I could see it more clearly and work on it better. And I figured it out. And now it's one of those jokes that you're like, I love that bit. That bit's huge. Yeah, it's a great joke. Oh, you know the joke. Well, there you yeah, go. Right? I mean, um, so then what's it like, you know, how did you go about producing and releasing your own special? Uh, well, let's see. It was, it was all very depressing. It was all very insulting. Uh, I couldn't, couldn't sell a special to save my life. And I was sending my hour. You know, I, that hour was, you know, built over years. So I would, it was tight as a drum. And I, I hate my act. I hate myself. So I'm trying not to sound braggy, but I hate everything I do. So if I was actually happy with this, that's a, that's pretty, that's a big deal. So uh, I was sending it all over. I filmed it in a club and killing, sent it all over. I don't even know if people watched it. They're just like, eh, no, thank you. We got enough of this. We got enough of that. So in January, I did a show at a theater. We sold it out like a week before. Yep. I was and my, yeah, you were there. And my agent said, if we sell out two of them, we should shoot this. It's at a theater. You know, it's already sold out. It's your people. This will be a good one. And uh, so I said, all right. So we, you know, just started doing all the legwork. Call this guy. Who's a shooter? Who's an editor? Who's a light guy? And we knocked it all out in two weeks. And they showed up. They shot it. It went pretty well. I still think that crowd was a little weak. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we got it in the can. Thank God. Then COVID hit. And we put it out. Yeah, I mean, you're at 1.6 million right now, which is, you know, that's a crazy number to be at. Yeah, we hit that in a month. And, hell, I want to hit 5 million by Christmas. Well, well you'll, you'll make it happen, you know. It's a, it's a great hour, and it deserves to be watched. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you, like, what was your thought? What, were you nervous putting it out? Because, you know, did, was there any hesitation because it could, it wasn't getting sold and you were like, well, maybe it isn't as good as I think it is or something like that. Oh, oh, all day, all day long. You know? And I'll tell you a lot of that made, made me better. It made me rework a lot of the jokes. I'm like, this gets a B laugh. Let's, let's turn into an A. And I just had to sit down with it. And in a way, you know, it, it makes you good. It makes you have to have a way better quality because you're trying to sell something nobody wants. It's embarrassing. You know, it, it, hurts your feelings so you don't want to present them with a shitty product when it could be better so i put my head back in the piece of paper and went back to town and it made it better it did so i have to give them i have to give them some credit for that did you use any but any comics to help you kind of figure out other jokes maybe that could be better or was do you write everything yourself with nobody else no me and sam uh do a joke session and you know i'll run shit by joe list and I run two shows in the city and, uh, you know, uh, me and my friends run it together. They're comics. So they'll watch my set. I watch theirs. And we're always constantly, Hey, that's been done before. That's a little hacky. Here's an angle you can take on this. How'd you miss that? And so we're all helping each other, but it's, you know, it's, it's mostly you, you come up with all the ideas and you, you figure it out yourself. Yeah. Then like, so then are these the, are the comics that you're with? Are they, are they, are they the comics that you kind of, grew up with and stand up yeah yeah a little bit i mean it's all different you know sam i knew like almost from day one gary veter i met the first day i moved to new york joe list i didn't meet till five years after i moved to new york but we were all aware of each other we were all kind of broke and 
uh, not funny and figuring it out and, and starting from the same shitty, uh, shitty seed. And then we grew into something, I guess. But yeah, you know, some guys you meet later on in the line, but uh, you find your people, you know, who it, it gels. Yeah. Do you it's have natural? Like- I, I, I was talking to, I forgot who it was. They're passed at the cellar and they were telling me they have like this fun story about, you know, the night they got passed. Do you remember that night? Or is there like, do you remember specifics about that night at all or no? Totally. Totally. Uh, Amy Schumer, I was opening for her for a while and she was still mid-level club comic, not selling out, uh, you know, a name and a good comic and, and whatever, but she didn't, she wasn't Schumer. She wasn't the garden yet, obviously. And I was just her, her rinky-dink opener, who she was nice enough to bring along. And she, you know, all my friends are idiots. So, like, why, why didn't she get me into the cellar? Why didn't she, you gonna, you going to ask her to put you in the cellar? I'm like, no, I'm not going to ask her. That's why, that's why she put me up. It's because I didn't ask her. I didn't annoy her. And that's why, I, that's why nobody, you're not open for anybody, you chooch, because you keep bugging them. What can you get me? What can you get me? So I never asked her. We're driving back from Connecticut uh, from the Funny Bone gig. And she goes, you really uh, stepped it up up there. And I think you're ready for the cellar. And I shit my pants. And I got a text later. It says, you're on tonight at 1130. It was a Saturday night. And, you know, the cellar. I, I was an open micer at this point. It was, I'm trembling, you know. I'm like, I'm just hearing like ringing in my ears. I was so nervous. Yeah. And I called in a bunch of favors. And I did five sets that night before 1130. Just uh-huh. running five minutes. Just because I didn't want to take any chances. And uh, I went up. I was nervous. The first, here's the crazy thing. Jim Norton went on before me. Wow. By the way, just sitting at that table with the, the booker and, you know, all these pros. It's like Colin Quinn and fucking, you know, Keith Robinson, all these, you know, no bullshit, killer, legend comics, New York guy, Dave Attell. And, uh, yeah, so she's like, you're going to go on 1130. I went, great, okay. I just tried to stay out the way. I remember Keith Robinson going, look how scared he is. He's fucking terrified. They're laughing at me. It's fun. And I didn't go on to 130. It just kept getting pushed back. Jim Norton went on and crushed. And he was like, that was O&A days. So he had, like, people there. Right. And uh, this girl got up and go to go pee, and she was a good-looking lady. And Jim went like, hey, what's your name? Uh, she goes, Sheila. And he goes, are you single? And she goes, uh, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm going to find you later, whatever it was. And then I just, hail Mary, went for it. I was so nervous. I blacked out for a second. I went on stage. I said, well, it's a little awkward for me. I was dating Sheila until a minute ago. And that killed. And I was home free after that. That's but it was a risk. That, yeah, risk, high risk, high reward. I guess. But, you know, what if that had tanked? I would have completely crumbled. I would have just you know, my knees would have buckled. I would have stammered up there and, and tanked the whole thing, but I went for it. Yeah. So then do you remember sitting at the table the first time, the comics only table? Oh yeah. All that was scary. I mean, just walking into that place is uh, nerve wracking. You know, it's high school again. Who's this? Who's sitting there? Who hates me? Who likes me? Who's better than me? Who sucks? Who's a hack? Who's good? Who thinks I'm a hack? Gary Goldman once said the seller isn't a club. It's a lifestyle. And huh. I think there's, there's a lot to that. Like, even now, pros won't play it because they're like, ah, it's too, it's too divisive over there. It's too uh, tense. That's interesting. I, ne- I never really yeah. – I mean, I, I feel – I apologize for only asking questions about that type of stuff. I'm just so interested in it, you know. As I move there, it's going to be something I strive to get to. No, I, I get it. I mean, I wish I had this when I started. There was like 
eight books on comedy and two two interviews about it. You know, Seinfeld had like a Charlie Rose, but you, you got you know, no one ever talked to anybody about comedy. So this is nice. This is why I do it because these new comics starting out, I'm like, give them the information. You know, there's no really instruction guide here. So let's throw it out there. Well, yeah, that's why I started this. Cause you know, Judd Apatow, when he was young, went around asking people, he would interview these comics and these people he respected. Right. So said, Why not? You know, I have the platform. Let me just reach out, you know? Yeah, totally. And I get all the information I'm, I can. I love that he did that. That's fucking huge. Yeah. Have you found that other, like, so obviously you have Instagram and Twitter. I saw that you're kind of getting into TikTok. Have you been using other social media platforms and have they helped you at all? Uh, you know, I hate social media. I hate the, the hate that it, it fuels up. I hate the canceling. I hate the, the gotcha bullshit, you know, but I feel like you have to have it, you know, it's part of a uh, part of the business now. So, you know, I just do it. I, I sign up for TikTok. I put some videos on. I never check it. I never look at it. And I, uh, I just want to write jokes. I want to perform. I want to be a comic. I, uh, I say horrible things. I'm sorry. I'm not a bad person. I'm just trying to do what I think is funny. And I'm sorry I said retard in 88, but uh, it's a funny word. And that's all, you know, people, I feel like social media started as this fun thing. And it just turned into like, how can we ruin you? Uh, let's attack this person. I don't know. The whole thing's uh, it's topsy turvy, and it bums me out. But I just do it because I feel like I have to. You know, like a, a, an MMA fighter. Ah, Jesus fucking bus. An MMA fighter is great at boxing, but he's got to learn how to wrestle if he really wants to have a chance. Right. I think it's it's kind of like that. So are you are are you starting to branch out? You think into other forms besides comedy of entertainment, or like just stand up, or like. Is acting a possibility or is, you know, or do you just kind of want to stick to stand-up? I want to stick to stand-up. I would only act to help the stand-up or to help sell tickets. Right. You know, I, I can't act. I'm not even really, I don't really enjoy it that much. So uh, I just want to be a stand-up, but I know, you know, my agent's not going to allow that. He's going to be like, hey, if I can get a paycheck here, we're going to take it. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, is there anything you, have you, you write screenplays at all or is it, do you really just focus on standup? Uh, no, I've never written a screen. I wrote one in like, you know, senior year of high school and college, maybe I was a film major. So I've yeah. written short stories. And if you look at my, my Instagram, my YouTube, I have sketches and videos I've done, but it's all just me. I'm, Hey, I'm just trying to be funny here. Uh, Hey, this is supposed to be funny. Uh, hey, I'm a stand-up comic. Check out my dates, you know. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. Just use it to fuel the comedy. Buy tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, well, I got. I have one more question, and then we can wrap it up here. And I all right. Ask this to all the comics I have on here: is if you could give one piece of advice to a guy who wants to start out, or is you know a year in, what would you say to them? I would say, and no one wants to hear this. This is all, everybody wants the shortcut, the quick answer, the, the golden ticket. The short, good answer, the real answer is focus on the act. Make the act bulletproof, killer, lights out, get your stage chops, get your heckle lines ready, get your uh, opener, get your closer, build an act. Everybody is not, no one is worried about the act and the act is everything. It's very simple. I know people who will start festivals. They'll start uh, production companies because they're like, all right, I'll, I'll start a podcast network and then I'll be this huge comedian because I have all these followers. And I'm like, 
yeah, but your act sucks. And they want to, they go, I want to do Conan. All right, well, let's see the act. And then they bomb. And you're like, well, how can you have both? I know you want the accolades and you want the glory, but you got to have an act. It, that's, it's very simple. So just write a good act, run it, hone it, kill everywhere. And the, the rest will just fall into place. But nobody wants to do that because it's hard. And it takes a lot of bombing and a lot of failing. And it feels like you're wasting time, but you're actually wasting time the other way. So it might be a quick fix to get on Joe Rogan and be this huge name. And then they go see you and you suck because you haven't worked it out. And I'll never come see you again, even if you become great. So work on the act, get the act good. Why would Colbert or whoever put you on if your act sucks? So you want all the good shit. You gotta, you, it, it's like these people want to be a professional bodybuilder, but they won't go to the gym because ah, lifting weights isn't fun. But I like getting greased up. I like the photographs. I like the sponsorships. You got to lift the weights. So, and it's fun. Building an act is fun. It's, it's hard. It's fulfilling. And it, it takes a lot of time and effort, but you got to do it. Build the act. Get good at joke writing. That, that's, that's a great piece of advice, really. <laughs> like, that was really great. But look, here's the thing. It's going to take 10 years. It's going to take eight years. And nobody wants to hear that either. Yeah. And I'm like, do you love stand-up or not? If you're passionate about it, you'll love doing it. I mean, it's the best job in the world if you fucking put your head down and do the work. But, mm -hmm. I mean, that's why it's work because it's hard. No, totally. Is there, all right. Well, thank you, Mark. Is there anything you want to plug <laughs> on here? So, uh, first, I want to apologize. I got a little uh, – I had some weird news happen earlier, and I'm a little riled up. So that's why this came, maybe came off a little squirrely. I don't worry. And I'm walking around New York and it's loud as shit. But uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Check out my special. I worked hard on it. I hate myself. I'm gay. And uh, listen to my podcast and the whole thing. Cool.